Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Oh, we all made it till Friday. Congratulations. So glad you're here for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim is back today. We're sponsored by Honey. Join honey.com slash martini. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, Jim, uh, it's good to see you back from the field trip, and we'll get to that in just a second. I just want to let all our listeners know that after yesterday's Joe Biden town hall, anytime you and I disagree with each other, we're going to yell out, get your facts straight, Jack. And uh, listen, Greek, or listen, Irishman, or some other uh, uh, somewhat pejorative that uh, is apparently now okay in politics, because uh, uh, over the past few years, it seems to be happening a lot. You know, I've just decided to have a rule, Greg, that if anybody says to me, look fat, I'm just going to respond, okay, boomer. Yeah, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's raring to go, right? This is one of those things where, like, you know, every Biden's board says, see, he's full of pep and vigor and, you know... Energy in the executive. And he's a crazy old man yelling names at people when they, you know, point out stuff about uh, Hunter Biden. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's another Rorschach test. Where people are saying, no, no. It's a really good insulting of the voters of the town hall. He wanted to do that. Jim, it's like a preview. Biden and that guy could be a potential preview of the general election debates, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, we'll find out. So uh, how did it go yesterday? What was the uh, what was the volume of vomit and so forth? Yeah, so uh, the the good folks at Authenticity Woods Elementary School were having a field trip to Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, it's spectacular. If you haven't been there, I recommend it. You know, they have, uh, in addition to so many preserved buildings and houses, people dress up in the in the time period, try to you know try to ask questions and answer questions in the in the you know with the uh, with, you know about how life was lived back then in the 18th century. Uh, we had terrific guides, but. To get there, it's a three-hour ride down and a three-hour ride back. It went terrific. This is usually my volunteering uh, opportunity of the year where I jump in. Because once you do that, once you chaperone a day-long field trip, nobody asks you to do anything else for the rest of the year. You just get it out of the way. Rip it off like a bandaid. But Greg, we get everybody off on the bus. It was going to get there by 5.30. Got on the bus moving by 6 so we could get to the, the Williamsburg by 9. I kid you not, 60 seconds after the bus starts moving, like three rows behind me, I hear a girl saying, I think I feel like I'm going to throw up. <laughs> Thankfully, she did not pop. But I would just kind of point out like, oh, come on, 60 seconds. Kid, how do you ever get into a, a vehicle of any kind? I know there's a school bus. I know you've been in a moving vehicle before, right? I go on the National Review cruises most of year. People can handle seasickness. How are you freaking out? And so thank- thankfully, it all stayed inside and we did have one giant uh, uh, sneeze that required a with a giant globule of snot uh, that came out with no hankies available and one nosebleed. So there was a lot of bodily fluids, a lot more than I expected, but thankfully much less vomit than I figured I'd be dealing with yesterday. You're making this seem like such an attractive volunteering option for our listeners who are parents all across the country. Yeah, sign me up for that. But, uh, I'm illuminating. Once you do that once a day, they don't ask you to do anything else for the rest of the year. <laughs> no bake sales, none of that volunteering for the other stuff. No, no, no. Excellent. Excellent. One and done. All right. We are good, good and crazy martinis today, by the way. So uh, let's 
Start with the first good, and it is the first Friday of a new month, and that means there was a new jobs report this morning, this time for the month of November. Uh, CNBC, for some reason, insists on doing these reports with a lot of background chatter, making it seem like they're on the floor of something. But uh, nonetheless, you can generally make out what they're talking about here. Non-farm payrolls rose by 266,000 jobs in November. The unemployment rate also fell back down to 3.5 percent, putting it back at the lowest level in 50 years. Average hourly earnings were up by seven cents in November to $28.29. That's a 0.2 percent increase for the month and a 3.1 increase over the year. Previous month's jobs numbers were also revised upwards. September's number was pushed up by 13,000 jobs, going from 180,000 to 193,000 jobs. October's number was revised upward by 28,000 jobs, going from 128,000 to 156,000. So the expectation was 187,000, the actual number 266,000, and revisions up for both September and October. A lot of folks who aren't big fans of the president will point out that, hey, a huge part of that was uh, the GM worker strike ending and those people back on the job. That's 41,000. Yeah, that's a big chunk of it. But even without it, uh, they still beat expectations by a fairly healthy margin by uh, almost 40,000. So, uh, Jim, that back down to 3.5 percent, lowest rate in 50 years, the labor force participation rate did tick down to 63.2. As we know, growth hasn't been quite uh, what we were hoping. It's, uh, it's, it's slimmed a little bit, still in positive territory. So it's not like the economy is perfect, but it's pretty darn good. Greg, I'm going to talk about the statistics in a second. But for a moment, just maybe a public service announcement. You work in the financial industry, and there's a CNBC reporter giving a live update near you. Could you please quiet down? <laughs> Every single time. It, it's, it's all the parents from the Peanuts cartoons in the background. Going on and on. Poor Rick Santelli. Has this man ever not needed to shout every one of his reports from the floor? You'd think it'd be like some sort of little quiet room off to the side where he could, you know. I always, I just want to yell every trader back there, could you please be quiet? He, Santelli's only going to talk for about two or three minutes. Really, it's not that bad. Alternately, do you think, Greg, if you go over to Rick Santelli's house like for dinner or something, he'll say, hey, Greg, it's great to see you. I'm glad you could make it. And he just yells just habitually. <laughs> it's never quiet around this poor man, poor guy. Anyway, yes, it is really good economic news. Good economic news on, on you know, you always like to see the percentage rate going down. We know that there are certain months where you can have a, a decent number of jobs created, but the workforce participation rate goes up. Another thing we want to see happen, uh, but because of the way the math adds up on that, it actually goes up a little bit. Good to see it go down. Uh, wage growth was up 3.1% over the, a year ago. That's nice to see. Um, uh, the workforce participation, I know the late, recent months have been going up. You, you can, I, we can afford a bad month here or there on workforce participation. You probably shouldn't read too much into any particular month. Look, these are really good numbers. Uh, and I think what makes it more interesting is besides the fact that for a good chunk of this year, people had been fearing that, uh, well, the long good run was going to have to end sooner or later. Uh, fears of a recession, you know, how was it, was it going to happen before the election? Would it hold off until after the election? At this point, this is an economy that looks like it's humming along pretty darn well. Uh, your point about the, the GM strike is a good one. By the way, the fact that the GM strike ended ended is good news, too. Uh, and as you pointed out, it's not that's not a single factor that's driving that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of us not fans of the trade wars that are going on. But I think I'd also point out, as I mentioned in yesterday's uh, Morning Jolt, you know, we did work out a deal about certain agricultural exports with Japan. So the U.S.-Japan trade agreement went through. 
We worked out a deal with the European Union to get the U.S. a bigger chunk of the beef market over there. So that's worth going forward. Uh, and just this morning, it looks like there's an agreement for soybeans and certain other agricultural products with China. This is not the big trade deal fight that we're having with China, but this is kind of a side issue that's been worked out. So three movements in the right direction if you're a fan of free trade. Um, and so, but the other areas where the U.S. has imposed various tariffs and gotten into trade wars isn't holding back job creation, isn't holding back wage growth for now. This is an economy that is roaring really well. Uh, a quote that from CNBC, the only person who does get quiet is Jim Cramer. Uh, everyone, <laughs> either he's so loud we just can't hear anyone else behind him, or, or maybe he's like E.F. Hutton when he talks, people listen. Uh, either way, you know, he says these are the best job numbers of our lifetime. Uh, my guess is, Greg, you will see that in a Trump re-election campaign ad uh, in the year to come. Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Uh, CNBC on the written story also has this guy, Tony Badikian, who's head of uh, global markets for Citizens Bank. And I have to assume he's shouting here as well. He says, this is a blowout number and the U.S. economy continues to be all about jobs. The unemployment rate is at a 50-year low. Wages are increasing. Business owners may be getting more cautious due to trade and political uncertainty. And growth may be slow, but consumers keep spending and the punch bowl still seems full. So, um, you, know what, Greg? you know how we could summarize this in a headline? Jobs numbers worth shouting about. <laughs> Jobs, that great three-letter word that Joe Biden always <laughs> tells us about. They're actually happening. Uh, let's talk about honey. Speaking of uh, consumers being in a good spending mood, it's always good to be in a, a good spending mood when you have numbers like that. But you still don't want to waste any money. You don't want to have to pay more than you have to. And we're now in the uh, holiday buying season, Christmas gifts. Christmas is what? Now uh, less than three weeks away. Uh, I think it's officially 19 days, and uh, if you're listening to this not on Friday, uh, it's even less than that. So giving holiday gifts is great. Overspending, not. So why spend more than you have to? Finding the lowest price is easy, but only if you have Honey. Honey is the free browser extension that automatically finds the best promo codes whenever you shop online. This means you always get the best deals without even trying on over 20 thousand sites so chances are there's a pretty good chance honey is already uh, factored into the sites where you do your shopping and if you have honey you're going to get the deals without doing any extra work amazon ebay j crew sephora expedia target best buy and many many more so what's it like it's very simple first of all it takes two clicks to install so it's virtually uh, effortless to, to get going and then you do nothing you check out at the uh, online website and uh, then you get the discounts Honey does all the work for you, and that's going to feel good when you find out how much you saved, and you might be able to apply it to other gifts or your holiday meal, or you might just save money and uh, hold it for something else down the line or even save and invest it. So uh, Honey is the way to go this holiday season and every day. Honey has more than 10 million members, and so far it has found its members more than a billion dollars in savings. I say again, billion with a B, not million with an M, or sadly, not yet trillion with a TR. It'll, it'll be a while, but they, they probably could do that to give them enough time. Honey supports more than 20,000 stores online. Honey has more than 100,000 five-star reviews on the Google Chrome store. For those of you who can do math, that is 500,000 stars. That's a lot of stars. If you're buying gifts this holiday season, then you need Honey. If you're not, you know somebody who is, so do them a big favor and tell them about Honey. Honey can help make sure that you are getting the best price for whatever you're buying online. It's free to use, and like I said, it installs in just two clicks. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash martini, joinhoney.com slash martini. 
All right, Jim, on to our second good martini now. And uh, for reasons we're still trying to figure out, although Chad and I speculated a bit on the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch about why Nancy Pelosi decided to uh, start up the engines for the articles of impeachment after exactly one hearing in front of the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, it looks like the uh, head counting is already going on. And it doesn't look like much has changed since the vote on the impeachment inquiry. In fact, it might even be looking worse for Democrats. They're going to still have the votes to do this if they want to do it, but uh, they're not winning over uh, the people that they were hoping to win over when they started this thing. One is Congressman Jeff Van Drew of New Jersey. Uh, He told Manu Raju of CNN that he plans to vote against all the articles of impeachment, quote, unless there's something that I haven't seen, haven't heard before. He also warned Democrats, according to Raju, to be careful what you wish for and added the impeachment is tearing the nation apart and I want to bring people together. Van Drew said he would have preferred a censure vote so they could move on. Then there's Colin Peterson, the moderate Democrat from Minnesota, who also opposed the inquiry. He also told Manu Raju when uh, walking along on Capitol Hill, if he still planned to uh, oppose impeachment, he says, I don't have any idea what they're doing. And then he walked onto the House floor. And and then you've got Dan Kildee uh, from Michigan, kind of a a labor-type Democrat from from the Flint area. Uh, he's not saying he won't vote for impeachment, but he's waiting to see what's in it. And he says, mostly what I hear from the folks at home is for us to get to work on issues like prescription drug prices, trade, and the economy. Mostly the American people want us to work on the issues that affect them at the kitchen table every day. If there was one Republican who opposed the inquiry who might flip on this, it seemed to be Francis Rooney of Florida. But now he seems to be uh, edging the other way as well. Uh, He says that uh, he's thinks the Democrats are in a rush to judgment, and he says that the Democrats should have gone to court to fight for firsthand witnesses, mainly Trump administration officials, who the president has uh, asked not to testify. He says if he heard from them, he might get to the point where he'd support impeachment. But uh, the fact that they won't even go to court to fight this, uh, meaning the Democrats, means that that alone might be enough for him to vote no. So, uh, Jim, if there was supposed to be a groundswell of momentum for the Democrats after the inquiry vote and all these hearings, it hasn't shown up yet. Yeah. And I decided to look back because I remember the 98 uh, impeachment of Bill Clinton. I guess it was, you know, the yeah, it was the House voted in 1998. Senate held a trial in 99. It was, you know, I, I remember being mostly party line votes, but I decided to go back and check. Uh, if you're wondering for contrasts, there were four of them. The one that had the least support, only 148 votes, uh, at least one Democrat voted for it. Uh, and on the other ones, no less than five House Democrats voted for it. Uh, one failed 205 to 229. One passed 221 to 212. That one had five Democrats. The one that passed with the most on the first article uh, was 228 votes. So just keep that in mind as a threshold. I think at this point, while things could change between now and when the House votes, I think the safe money would be not a single House Republican ends up voting for any of these. Uh, by the way, you had five Democrats voting, uh, five Republicans voting against on that first one. Um, you had five re- Republicans voting against the impeachment of Bill Clinton back in 1988 on that first article. Uh, on the third article, 12 Republicans voting no, uh, but it still passed. One that did not pass, you had 28 Republicans voting no. And on the first one, 81, this was on abuse of power. And I guess that's the one that most people felt like the argument was weakest. You look at that and say, look, you, you know, by, by the sheer standard of could you persuade members of the other uh, opposition party and could you keep people on your side persuaded? Uh, you look at that and say, OK, well, the House Republicans did a somewhat better job based on what we you know, project to have happen here. 
2019, or perhaps it's going to you know go past Christmas and New Year's and into 2020. Um, does this make the you know someone out there probably is saying, well, that doesn't necessarily mean it's right or wrong. True, but obviously, if you're trying to make an argument that the president should be impeached for his actions. One, you'd want to persuade everybody in your party. They're probably the ones who are more likely to be inclined to come to this conclusion. And you'd like to be able to point to say, hey, even some Republicans agree with on this. Look at these guys. And at this point, it's going to be none. So it'll be interesting. You know, I ran the numbers on this. They, you know, my guess is that there's no way it comes to the floor unless Pelosi's absolutely certain she's going to get 218 votes on this. But I kind of wonder how much it'll go past 218. And people will kind of wonder, you know, when you got... 228 and 221 for passage on on the articles of impeachment against Bill Clinton. I think it's kind of a useful comparison there. And if they don't hit 221, that's going to be a little bit of a, a, a you know a bit of a disappointment for them uh, that they were that people can make the argument that this was a you know fairly closely contested vote. And again, ex, you know even by the standards of 1998, this was an even more partisan vote based on what we're seeing so far. Yeah, absolutely. And as I recall, not a single Senate Democrat. Uh, voted to convict on either uh, the perjury or the obstruction of justice charges against Clinton. So uh, don't expect uh, a fairly narrow House vote to move many minds in the Senate this time either in the opposite direction. But as we move to our crazy martini, Jim, there's a clear, obvious path forward for Democrats if, in fact, uh, President Trump is acquitted in the Senate, which at this point seems like a very likely scenario the sensible thing, of course, would be to, you know, actually focus on the issues people care about. The other thing, which might be what they do, actually, is to impeach him again. Neil Katyal, he was an acting solicitor general under Barack Obama. I hope I'm saying that name correctly. Argued Thursday, according to the Free Beacon, that if the Senate acquits President Trump after the House of Representatives impeaches him, the next Congress could simply convict Trump again on the same charges. Quote, if the Senate doesn't vote to convict Trump or tries to monkey with his trial, he could, of course, be retried in the new Senate should he win re-election. The liberal attorney argued on Twitter, double jeopardy protections do not apply. In a follow-up tweet, he said his recently released book, Impeach, the case against Donald Trump, goes into more detail about a possible retrial. According to the book's description, Katyal argues that if President Trump is not held accountable for repeatedly asking foreign powers to interfere in the 2020 presidential election, it could very well mark the end of our democracy. So, Jim, no hyperbole, no hype, no unnecessary drama in that analysis, clearly. What do you make of the fact that he and Congressman Al Green, who loves to throw up articles of impeachment, by the way, think that uh, if this doesn't work, we'll just try, try again? That'll teach him. And if that doesn't work, we'll try triple secret probation. How do you like them apples, Mr. President? Um, so back when the Mueller report came out, and by most people's standards, it was uh, by, by those who were Trump opponents, it was something of a disappointment. Obviously, there were a whole bunch of Trump folks who went, aha, he tried to obstruct, never mind the Russia stuff, he tried to obstruct justice. Therefore, we should, my, there was a, my, my first, this broke while I was on vacation, of course. And then I decided, you know, my, my first uh, morning jolt back, I said, you know what, Democrats, go ahead, give it your best shot. I don't want this hanging over the president's head for the remainder of his term or two terms. You think this is worth impeaching him? Do it. Go ahead. Take your best shot. I don't think you're going to get very far, but you know what? It's a free country, but let's, you know, my attitude was kind of like, all right, you want to impeach this guy, impeach this guy. Because I recognize that once you've, you know, there's nothing that says, um, you know, that Trump could get reelected, that on paper they could impeach him. And while it's not really uh, all that plausible to imagine, you know, that after, let's say it's, you know, January 2021, Trump gets reelected, but somehow Democrats keep the House and 
somehow they win a whole bunch of Senate seats, not just a majority, but maybe even either there's a, a Democratic majority or you get to some scenario where you could imagine hitting 67 votes. I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't like for them to say, aha, well, we've decided to impeach you on the Mueller stuff. We just kind of kept it in our back pocket for the past few years. Now we're going to get you. And, you know, ah, we're going to do Pence too. You know, my attitude was, all right, this is fresh in people's minds. If you think this is worth, you know, removing the president, let's do it. Uh, and of course they did not. And then of course, you know, ironically, right around the time the Mueller report was coming out and disappointing critics of the president, he got involved in this Ukraine stuff. If you put the rake in the yard, he will figure out some way to step on it, no matter what which direction he's walking. So here we are. I, again, I think we all know how this is going to shake out. There's really nothing that can deter the Democrats from pursuing this. They have every constitutional right to do this. And, you know, they, they, as many times as House Democrats want to impeach him, Senate Republicans can say, yeah, we don't think this is worth impeaching him over. And they won't hit that 67 vote threshold. And we can do this over and over again. While we're doing this, we're not doing other things. Uh, we have a trade deal with Mexico and Canada that's just sitting there collecting dust, waiting for anybody to, to pass this in the House. We have other business in this country that uh, that we did. There, there is an probably the fairest and strongest argument in favor of the president. Uh, and I say this as a guy who thinks, no, he should not have been trying to strong arm Ukraine. No, he should not have gone through the president's lawyer. No, I really don't buy the idea that this was just routine anti-corruption stuff and not deliberately targeting Joe Biden. But a good chunk of the opposition never accepted him as a legitimate president of the United States. And, you know, in addition to starting the petitions for impeachment on January 20th, 2017, they have basically not operated as if he was the duly elected president of the United States and that he was entitled to use all the powers. And that's why we got all these nonsense impeaching the president over what he said on Twitter and you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, which, by the way, if they hadn't done all of these things, they might have had a more bipartisan uh, or a broader public support for this instead of the country being evenly split as it has been for uh, pretty much the entirety of Trump's presidency. So anyway, this is where we are with this. I think it illuminates the ridiculousness of this. But on the other hand, like you, you could pretty much say the animating spirit of the Democratic Party right now is Trump should not be president. And anything that furthers that goal of not of making him not president is OK and, in fact, wise in the course of action they should be on. That's one of the things why it's so ridiculous when you say, you know, uh, you know, vice, uh, former Vice President Biden, you know, once you're elected, what will your goals be? Is I'm going to get Donald Trump out of office. <laughs> no. Once you're sworn in, it's done. <laughs> hey, you, you, you know, I mean, maybe he refuses to leave. and You got to ask the Secret Service to drag him up. But come on, man. Do that, right? So, like, it's that the the Trump part of, of is over. <laughs> now you got to deal with what do you want to do as president? And the Democrats have become so obsessed with undoing the 2016 election that I suspect that there isn't really that much thought about what do they want to do if they were to win presidency back, and if they were to get an agreeable Congress. Which, oh, by the way, guys, you're not on 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 course for. You're not going to have 60 votes in the Senate. Uh, like you did back when Obama was passing Obamacare. So you're going to need to get some Republican buy-in on some of these ideas you want to do. And you know what? Green New Deal ain't going to happen. You know, you know, there are a whole bunch of stuff you're in dreamland of imagining if I had a magic wand, this is what I would do. Guess what, guys? You're not going to have that. So you need to say, okay, what can we get, you know, in minimum, a, you know, five to six, but in most likely we're going to need probably something around 10 Republican senators to sign on to this. What ideas do we have that we could get those you know, 10 Republicans to sign on to? And I don't even see these discussions. I don't see these discussions happening in Democratic circles, much less than coming up with any good answers to these questions. No, it's amazing. And I think you bring up a good point. And Eric Erickson, I think, was the one who tweeted out this montage uh, last week, I believe it was, of uh, 
maybe this is why the Democrats don't understand why the public is not moving the needle much as you keep having these hearings. And it was basically from Inauguration Day all the way forward, all these liberal talking heads on CNN and MSNBC and elsewhere saying, oh, this is it. Beginning of the end. Turning of the tide. The walls are closing in just over and over and over again. And uh, basically the liberal approach. And you obviously have a debate over whether their uh, criticisms of Trump are valid or not. But uh, after you say, well, how about this? Should this be the reason we get rid of him? And the public says, no, nah, I don't think so. How about this? No. By the time you get to reason 12 or 13, they just stop listening. Yeah, even if there are better reasons, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> like by that point, they've tuned you out. This is this is one of the reasons you don't try to impeach people over over rinky dink stuff. So, Jim, rinky dink obviously is an adjective that needs to be much more widely used. Absolutely, my mom used that all the time, and, and lots of other great ones over the years. So, uh, I, I know exactly what you mean by rinky dink, Jim. We're do a break. So, happy weekend to you. See you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. And a happy weekend to you. Thank you for listening on the Three Martini Lunch, as always. Uh, don't forget to visit our good friends over at Honey. Join for free at joinhoney.com slash martini. Subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Leave us a nice review if you don't mind, especially if you like us. And uh, have a great weekend. Tune in Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.